0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to New Books in Medicine, one of the podcast channels on the New Books Network. I'm Claire Clark, and I'm one of the hosts on the channel. And today I'm talking to social psychiatrist Mindy Thompson-Fullalove, who's a professor of urban policy and health at the New School and is the author of more than 100 papers and seven books. Today we're talking about the book Main Street How a City's Heart Connects Us All, which was just published in 2020 by New Village Press and is distributed by NYU Press. Mindy, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I wonder if you could begin our interview by telling us just a little bit about yourself.
1: I am, as you pointed out, a social psychiatrist, which means that I study the connections between social systems and mental health. And I I have been doing this for a long time. I started doing research in 1986, looking at the AIDS epidemic um, and in particular, why there was excess risk for AIDS among blacks and Hispanics in the United States. That work led me to the problem of the concentration of AIDS in uh, poor neighborhoods that had been decimated by terrible urban policies. And uh, watching that raised the question for me, why is there so much AIDS risk behavior in this setting? And so that's how I started to do this work of social psychiatry that I've been doing ever since.
0: And how did you come to write Main Street? This is not your first book by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah, uh, I. It, it was just one of those accidents. I was sitting in a Starbucks on a Main Street in Englewood, New Jersey, and having a cup of coffee and, and working on my laptop and looking out the window. And th- there was so much going on main- that particular Starbucks is on a, a very busy main street. And I thought, wait, isn't main street dead? And then I thought uh, uh, maybe not. And then I was like, if it's not dead, why, you know, what's going on? Well, and of course, because I think from this frame of how systems affect mental health, I became very curious about how do main street support mental health. Why do we care about them? And so I, I proposed th- this study. that I would go visit 100 main streets, Um, meaning thinking there's one main street in a city and I'll go to 100 cities and see 100 main streets. And that turned out to be a a plan. That was a plan I was going to do in one year. That turned out to be a terrible plan. Um, So it took me 11 years. I went to 178 cities. I saw more than one main street in many of those cities. Um, And that's how I came to write main street, just looking around and trying to figure out how do main streets relate to mental health.
0: And before we jump into the kind of the content of the book here, I wonder if you could say a little bit about how this project relates to your work as a physician, um, because it, it might not be clear to some of our listeners.
1: Um, social psychiatry is by many considered a research discipline, and some of the most famous people working in psychiatry, social psychiatry, right now are are researchers. Well, I was trained in. In family therapy during my psychiatric residency and thereafter. And family therapy is very interested not only in the social system of the family, but in larger social systems. So, as I started to study cities and what had happened to poor neighborhoods that led to AIDS risk behaviors, these were problems of large social systems. And so, you know, there was a natural attraction to thinking, well, what interventions in these large social systems might make things better? And so my practice is not the usual kind of psychiatric practice. It's really a practice of consulting with neighborhoods and cities and large organizations about how they might work to make things better. So I do research, and then I do this large systems practice. That's wonderful.
0: Um, You use a really interesting method throughout the book. Called the Stroll and Scroll, um, and create, and this this involves creating these kind of um, visual scrolls or representations um, of the main streets that you visited. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then, um, what is the what you call the box, circle, line, tangle over time?
1: Well, let's take the Stroll and Scroll first, as as you posed that question first. I had um, met Dr. Hirofumi Minami, who's a Japanese environmental psychologist, back in uh, 2002. I was working on a project called NYC Recovers about really large systems recovery after 9-11 in New York. And he joined our project. Uh, He himself has done a lot of research on Hiroshima and its recovery after the bombing in World War II. So we had much to talk about. And I'm a great admirer of his work and his thinking. One of the techniques that he developed for his work on what he called the psychoanalysis of the city was this strolling scroll. So we went on a stroll and scroll together to look at Broadway in New York City with our colleague, David Chapin, um, architect on the faculty at uh, CUNY Graduate Center in environmental psychology. And the three of us walked five segments of Broadway. And then Hirofumi Minami taught us how to make a scroll in, in the Japanese sense of this big, long piece of paper. And you roll it to get the story so that, that's how that started. And it was his instruction. And then I followed that method. Really, the point of the psychoanalysis of the city is to look for the secrets of the city. At the point at which I started working with Hero, I had already figured out that there is around what we call Main Street, this kind of civic and commercial amalgam. There's what that that amalgam is like sits in a box of buildings on either side of a public thoroughfare. And that box itself sits in a circle of the urban fabric. And the public thoroughfare is a line that runs through that. But what I would say that, you know, walking around so many cities, 178 cities, many main streets, many more main streets than that, and saying, you know, what's the secret? That really what I came to believe was the secret was the tangle, which is that at at the level of of scale of the sort of Main Street, as we think of it, the single amalgam, we're very much located in one place. But at the next level of scale, kind of the level of scale of a city or of a region, there are many of these, and they're set in a network of roads. Um, and the example that we were working from is Essex County, New Jersey. And the roads, when you make a map just of the roads, it looks like a tangle of spaghetti. So we thought of it as the tangle. This is very important because segregation and inequality, these social determinants of health, are very clear at the level of the tangle and are somewhat obscured at the level of the single main street. So the real secret of inequality, of, of the hierarchy of resources in our society, is hidden. And you can only see it at the level of the tangle. I,
0: this book um, I'm reading it, it it struck me as really a book about teaching. There are so many examples from the the teaching that you do um, and that your colleagues do. And it seemed like every other page there was um, there was a great idea that um, if you know you were if one was an instructor reading this book, you could adopt and and use with your classes. Um, why do you, do you, do you, um, write, um, sort of early on that everything you want to know about the American city, you can learn in orange, New Jersey?
1: Well, I write it because it's a true fact. <laughs> I, you know, I was one of those, uh, nerdy kids that was bullied in school and left to go to college, shaking the dust of my hometown off my feet and vowing never to return so the idea that I went back and became intrigued, that that never occurred to me that that would happen. So, um, but the reason it, it happened was because I um, had been to so many cities studying how cities work over decades. And I came back to my hometown for a visit and and noticed that all of the things that I had been taught to look at in other cities were in orange. So, for example, a highway goes through the middle of the town. It was mapped for redlining. And things that are associated with redlining, like the tree cover, are very evident in the in the city of orange. Um, and on and on. So there's so many things here that give you a peek into American urbanism. And it's a very small city, 2.2 square miles. So you can easily walk around and there's lots of good food. So you can walk around and then you can stop and have something delicious. And then you can walk some more and you can see the whole history of the American city. And I invite anybody who wants to come to Orange, New Jersey, just, you know, sit, shoot me an email and I'll show you.
0: <laughs> That's the, the, the book in action, absolutely. Um, tell me about um, place-based ABCD, which stands for Asset-Based Community Development. We yeah.
1: learned about asset-based community development um, while going through a crisis. I, I'm a member of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Essex County, which is in Orange, my, my hometown. And the congregation was shrinking and the crisis was what to do. Should we go out of business or or what should we do? Uh, while we were going through a process of discernment, one of the people who was helping us, one of our advisors said, you have a great asset in that you own your buildings and you could use these buildings to be of service to the city. This idea struck us as very in line with our, our values as a congregation and was very exciting to us. But that didn't mean we knew what to do, at which point somebody sent us an article um, about Broadway Methodist Church in Indianapolis, um, and uh, it was about Reverend Mike Mather and asset-based community development, and how he stopped all the usual things that churches wanting to be of service do, like a food pantry. And he turned to asset-based community development, which meant investing in the people and what they had. So that's our, our... became our guiding principle we had the great delight of having reverend mather come to our church and, and talk to us so we've become real really have grown our work in orange around that theory that you find the talents of the people and it, it's focused in this small place orange new jersey and so we believe that that this is this kind of place-based work where you're working committed to a city committed to its future and looking for its assets is the way to go.
0: And the assets are,
1: are the, the
0: people, right? I, I, if, if I'm getting it right.
1: Often. The, well, the assets are, in a way, the talents and gifts of the people. Orange New Jersey is, a when I was growing up, was 20% black and 80% white. It was very black, white. But in the years since there was white flight, most of the white people moved out. And then not only did more African-Americans move in, but people from various other places. So Africans moved in, Central Americans, South Americans, Caribbeans, a whole variety of people. And so what's interesting is that in this, one of the assets is that they bring with them their musical cultures. So there are many musical cultures in Orange, New Jersey. In fact, a, a leading musician who teaches around the state told us that he thought there was more love of music and dedication to music in Orange than in any other place where he taught. And so one of the assets in the people, part of the talents and gifts and just and just deep love, is music. And so we have invested a lot in developing what we call Music City, which is just helping people um, it, play music together.
0: That's a... Um... A great example of how um, the the book really talks about a lot of different art forms and how, um, you know, art and culture are um, are so critical to the health and well-being of of Main Street. So you talk about about music, about photography, about poetry. Um, Tell us about the work of um, photographer Wing Hung Huey. and
1: how it contributes to healing. Wing Young Huey is somebody whose work I came across in the just you know in the course of all, all the things that were happening, and I was um, he he did some he's just done some remarkable projects. He's he thinks of himself as a street photographer. But literally, he, he takes this to, like, the next level. So he did a project on Lake Street in Minneapolis where he photographed people that were, you know, living and working all along the street. And then he took those photographs and he displayed them in the public space. And some of them were blown up to be, like, the size of a building. So that, yeah, and, and it's a remarkably... Uh, it's a working class street along much of its length and Minneapolis is a very diverse city. So people of all kinds of, uh, ethnic backgrounds, immigrants, people who'd been there for a long time. And so he made these photographs and put them on, on the buildings over six miles. Uh, so that, that work is, I think, um, you know, incredibly important for Minneapolis. Minneapolis obviously is a place that's quite fraught with racial tension, and it can racial tension can get very um, locked in, right? One group fighting another group, and so for people to be able to see, Minneapolis is not what you think. It's not it's not the white space that you think or that I would think. Um, it's it's this very complex, diverse space with a lot of people here. Uh, when young Huey told me that when he Uh, first wanted to take a photograph of a guy the guy said to him wait a minute let me get my gun and then got his gun and came out and took his photograph (laughs) but you know he has photographs of a a favorite of mine which I put in uh, the book Main Street is of a kid walking down the street with this alien balloon Um, and uh, so all you know people have all uh, all kinds of artifacts of life And I think that that's incredibly healing because we get to see each other in a way when you can stop and look at the photograph of somebody who's a stranger, you can really stare in a way that you're not supposed to stare at a stranger, Uh, which we all try to surreptitiously stare at strangers, but that's really not, it's really rude, right? Right. Uh, But if there's a photograph, you can stop and stare and wonder. And then because it's the neighborhood, you might actually see that person who's 30 feet tall just walking mm-hmm. down the street. So was, I think a fabulous experience. And a, a, um, wonderful for, for, for individual
0: reflection and community discussion and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. And,
1: and a city just getting to know itself. Who are mm-hmm. we as a city? Well, there it is on Lake street. Go see it.
0: Um, you, you, you talked earlier about how, um, important the tangle is and understanding the tangle um i I, and uh, especially and making the tangle visible um i wondered if you could talk about what are some strategies or what are some art forms like like um huey's photography that we were just talking about um that we can use to make the tangle more visible
1: (laughs) Really fundamentally, what the University of Orange, the Free People's University that I'm part of, has taught is that it's very useful to have a reading of Main Street, and then as part of that collective reading, to do Stroll and Scroll. So they adapted the Stroll and Scroll as something communities, people can do together, and they created a set of instructions and are posted on their website, universityoforange.org, we might not think of people taking a walk together in the city as an art form, but uh, then when they come back and make the scroll, scroll is really an art form. Well, you know, how do they depict what they saw? And that's really the the fundamental beginning of this. You, you've got to go. You've got to go see it. And and the art of seeing. Can we can we actually look? Is is a great important art. Can we actually listen? The art of listening. That if we're going to look at the tangle, those are the fundamental things. And and those are, we all have the have some of these senses available to us. If we can walk, if we can see, if we can hear, um, or or whatever combination of those abilities we have, we can use them to experience Main Street. Um, and even if we can't hear. Um, what is that like for us if we can't see what is that like for us are are we welcomed on main street with our you know partial abilities so this is the this is the true art it's not asking some professional to come in and write a song about your main street but actually just taking your friends and saying let's go see what we have and main streets are um, part of our aesthetic heritage so Main Streets have been, you know, the, all the buildings were designed, they're assembled, they've got signs, they've got things in the window. There's 30 art forms that are involved in making a, a Main Street. So it's a little bit like going to an art museum to go see your own Main Street. That's wonderful. Um, And
0: and I that's good to know also about the University of Orange's directions. We can put that on this uh on the website with this interview. So anybody listening can go and check that out and think about um, how they might do a a stroll and scroll. Um, I've got one more question um, before our traditional final question. Um, And that's about history. Um, You you write about your collaborative work with a group called the Community Research Group or CRG. Mm-hmm. um and how that work led you to um to study history um and how history became is it, sort of integral to um social psychiatry research and i wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that
1: i um i was a history major in college and then i had some very wonderful professors um and, and one of the first writing projects that I ever did was helping my father write his book. My father, Ernest Thompson, write his book, Homeboy Came to Orange, a story of people's power, about his work organizing in the labor movement and then in, in the city of Orange. So I would say that uh, if I gave the impression I started thinking about history when we had CRG, that would be wrong. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I've been thinking about history really all my life. Um, And my father was a a leader of of a very important 1950s civil rights organization called the National Negro Labor Council. And I did an honors thesis in college on the story of the National Negro Labor Council, uh, which remains the go-to piece about that organization. So, yeah, I, I, I love history and I think about it a lot. Um, and it's
0: it's amazing too that it's um i what struck me was how collaborative the pro- the process w- the what came across in the group in the book is is how sort of collaborative the historical research process was and so it's wonderful to learn it, it's really interesting to learn that it's sort of you've been doing the collaboration stuff too kind of all along
1: so yeah anyway. uh, that's really true that's really true i I don't know that I would call the work with my father a collaboration. He was pretty bossy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was sort of, can I take direction? Which is good to learn also because, uh, you know, certainly a lot about being a physician is about being the boss. So it's good to have had really seminal experiences of being the not boss. But history is, so history is, is close to my heart, but history is also became phenomenally important um, when we were working in Harlem doing a series of studies, people would talk about what it used to be like and what it used to be like was not what it was like when we were, for example, studying the crack epidemic in Harlem in the early 90s. And so the, the whole issue of, well, what was it like became very important to us. And you know, one of the things we did in 1990 was we asked David Swerdlick, who's now an editor at the Washington Post, uh, but was then our intern, if he would go around and take pictures of Harlem at that moment, and then also if he would go to the Schomburg archive and look at the photos of what Harlem was. And this created a slideshow we called "Baseway Disintegration, very, very vivid depiction of what had happened to the physical space of Harlem. And it, you know to see something fall apart like that, it really forced us to ask what happened, what were the policies? We we knew some of them, but we didn't know all of them. And so laying that out also became an important part of the work. So, so getting stories from people and then looking at what was in front of us and then going into the archives, these all became very important. And without that work, we could not have understood the epidemics that we were looking at. And that we are looking at. We can't. You can't understand the COVID epidemic without understanding the history of the American city.
0: Absolutely. Um, and uh, history for for our listeners is is woven all throughout the book. So it, it's every, everything is historicized. Um, in, in 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 the way that um all of these the various main streets are kind of um analyzed and discussed. Um. I think this this might be the shortest ever New Books Network interview I've ever done. I I, I said before we started recording that um, nine questions takes the average academic uh, forty five minutes. Dr. Fullilove has efficiently um, answered them all um, in, in in just under half an hour. So that um, that brings me to our traditional final question which is, um, what are you working on now? What do you have an, uh, another, um,
1: sort of, uh, book in the queue? Um, uh, well, my adventure, everybody had an adventure in COVID. Uh, my adventure in COVID was that I was, you know, uh, living by myself, home alone. And in the evenings I would watch TV. I never watched TV before. I was too busy. Um, so I got bored with American TV. I got bored with British TV. So I started watching Korean TV, um, which turns out to be great. And I fell in love with Korean TV. I was like, but I don't really understand what's going on. And and since I've traveled so much in France and it was really essential to learn French, I was really clear, I, I've got to learn Korean. And then I was really clear, I've got to go to Korea. So I, I met a, a woman who's part of the Fulbright organization and she said, why don't you apply for a Fulbright? So I was like, well, that sounds great. Yeah, I go to Korea? They're like, yeah. So so I'm studying Korean and going to Korea. And the project is called the Tao of K-drama, looking at the, the wisdom that's inherent in uh, K-drama. And I, I'm very drawn to this because Korea is, unlike France, which was really empire, Korea has really been colony. So the, the suffering of the people is very much a part of the everyday stories that they tell. This is very close to the African-American experience. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to going and um, having some barbecue and talking to people <laughs> about the history of their country.
0: Well, that's a great project. Um, Dr. Fullove. Love, I want to thank you so much for making time to share your work with us on the New Books Network today. Um, and we will... Um, put that link to the stroll and scroll activity on, on the interview webpage. And, um, uh,
1: that's, um, thank you again. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm proud to be efficient. Doctors (laughs) like to be efficient. They don't have much time. So I hope this, all the physicians can really take it in.
0: I hope so too. Thanks again.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.